This is the Improved Photography Podcast, episode number 196. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a blog, or an online store, it's all included in your Squarespace website. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your first purchase. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Improve Photography Podcast. Today I am joined by our chief taco, Jeff Harmon, and also Larissa Gobetz. Hey guys. Hey. Jeff Harmon is from the Photo Taco Podcast, definitely one to check out as well. Uh, but we have a bunch of photography questions from our listeners. The first is from Jamie Hoff, who's a member of ImprovePhotographyPlus.com. And she asks, um, she asks, do you guys have any, she asks, do you guys have any advice on shooting a group of five women with one flash and an umbrella? Can she do this with one flash or is she going to need to get a second flash? What do you say, Jeff? Do you think you can shoot a group of five with just one flash? Uh, that might be a little bit of a challenge on the far side. It, it's going to be hard to get even lighting across five people. I think, uh, you have to try it and see, maybe you can get a reflector up and, and make it so it's not too bad across the five people, but that it might be a bit of a stretch to try to do it with just one flash and an umbrella. Yeah. The issue here, of course, is when you have five different heads, if you have the light, you know, off to the side of the camera each person is going to be throwing shadows on the person next to them. And so I have done this with a small group, and it did work okay, but I had to bring the umbrella in very close to to the angle of the camera. And so you don't get that off-camera flash look to it, uh, but at least, you know, has a nice, bright, clean look to it. Um, and the best, the best position would probably be right in the middle as uh, above them, like... Um, yeah, like above the camera. Just, yeah, Right. Not not like at 45 degrees or any because then you're going to have shadows or you're going to have a hard time dealing with and uneven lighting. So yeah, if you can kind of get it right in the middle, pointing down from above them, you probably have a chance. But it's going to be it's going to be a little hard. Yeah, I think. Now, the, should I, she? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Should she be using the 60 inch? Because that was in her question. Also, she oh, has yeah. a 43 inch and a 60 inch umbrella. So the bigger the umbrella, the bigger the more spread of the light. Well, here's what I would say about that. I don't really think it's going to matter um, nope. on the umbrella in this question because, like, picture the view from the person. So the size of the umbrella in a flash, the reason you want a bigger umbrella is softer lighting, which is what we need here. We need it to wrap around um, and fill in shadows. However, think about it from the perspective of the person, you know, who's 15 feet away from the camera. You know, we're talking about a minute difference at that point because the umbrella isn't going to be right up close to them when we'd see a big difference. The, we're talking about, you know, maybe maybe each person can see just a tiny bit more umbrella. It's really going to be about the same, honestly. Uh, so I don't really think that's going to matter because it's a group and the flash is going to be far away from the people anyway. And with just one flash, I don't know that you'd see one flash fill a 43-inch umbrella much differently than a 60-inch. Yes, that's a good point. So I, the flash... You know, some of the light is going to get to the ed edge of the 60-inch umbrella, right. but the vast majority is going to be toward the center. It just isn't that wide of where it's sending the light. And so the light on the edge is, is pretty light anyway, so it's, it's just not going to do a whole lot for you. So if you had like a triple bl a flash bracket there and three flashes, then maybe you'd see a bit more difference between a 60 and a 43. But with just one, I bet there's not a whole lot of difference. Yep, good question. 
All right, our next question is from Monty Craig, um, also a member of Improved Photography Plus who has a Fuji X-Pro1, same camera that I'm shooting. Oh, I have the X-Pro2, but same series of camera that I'm shooting. Um, and he bought a young Nuo YN560TX controller that I think all of us are using for our flash and yep. also three um, 560 flash units. Um, and he just cannot get them to fire. He bought them used on Craigslist and he's wondering if he got taken uh, or what uh, what happened? I'm really suspicious. I don't think the f- that all three flash units just couldn't f- fire. That something sounds wrong. Um, I I just haven't seen a lot of YN560s go dead on me, and I've used a lot. And so you know, he said they're working with like the pilot light. They do turn on and everything. They just he can't get it to sync with the controller. It's possible that something's wrong with the gear, but I don't know how many times at workshops somebody has said, I just bought these last week. I think they're broken. I'm going to return them. And then I turn them on, get the settings right, and pow, it fires. Um, I've, my suspicion here is that something is wrong. So I asked him to post a photo of, of the back of, of the flash and the controller here to make sure every setting is right. But what I will say about the Young Nuo flashes is I've found them to be extremely reliable um, but it can, it, it's not a, it's not a friendly user interface, probably better than the Canon and Nikon on the back, uh, but they're still not easy to use. And so sometimes you got to mess with the settings, but once you get them right, they'll just go every time for you. Anything you'd add to that? The documentation on them is also really terrible. <laughs> yes, it's terrible. So, yep. so it is hard if, if it's not working and you, it seems like it should be even going to the documentation didn't help me at all. I had to just keep playing with them until it worked. And I think one of the times it was that I didn't have it seated quite right in the hot shoe. So that caused a problem that the camera couldn't talk to the controller and wouldn't fire. Uh, like it was too loose. I hadn't ratcheted it down tight enough so that it would, it would have a good solid communication there. Testing maybe from the controller, you can do a little test flash from the controller too. So you're not relying on the camera to send a signal. That would be something good to try. See if you push it on the button on the controller if they flash. Yeah, Maybe YouTube? Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. The other thing that I'd point you to is an article on improvephotography.com. It's got it's called You Got Your YN560 Speedlight, Now What? Um, <laughs> and it will walk you through a lot of this. One of our guest authors wrote this, and it's really a great article. So I'm setting up a quick link for you right now that you can go to improvephotography.com slash new flash that's improvephotography.com slash new flash and if you go to that link it'll get you straight to the article um, and it really walks you step by step shows you what every button on the wine 560 does and how to get started with it uh, so that would definitely be a great resource to uh, troubleshoot this year i'd add to it too that i had more trouble with the 560 version 2 flashes than i did the threes or the fours those seem very reliable to flash from the controller i did struggle especially because i had to add a receiver the the 562s didn't have a built-in receiver for the radio signal from the controller so um, that was more problematic trying to get those to work i totally agreed the the newer versions the wine 560 version 3 and 4 um, are much much easier to use and the price difference is is negligible so it's it's definitely worth it our next question is coming from alan combs uh who says he is 
uh, selling his wedding photography, and he wants to bring his prices up 30% next year, uh, start charging what he's worth. And basically, he wants to know, should he start charging that rate now or wait until January 1st? Because it's somebody interested now, but who won't uh, actually have their wedding until next year. Uh, Larissa, what do you think about this? What, what do you think is the right way to go with a, a price increase? I would probably go with the price increase since the wedding is next year. It's not like it's sometime this year. So I would give them the new pricing for that because it is a wedding that's going to occur next year. So that's what I would do personally. Unless, you know, they've heard from the friend of a friend of a friend that the prices are low, but then you can always tell them, hey, my prices have gone up. So. Yeah, I, I would kind of address this just what's going to work with that particular client. I don't know if, you know, you have to have like a corporate policy on this. But, you know, if they've seen this year's pricing, they're going to feel like they're getting kind of taken if you charge them 30% more. Uh, if they haven't seen this year's pricing, then I don't see any reason to not just start your price increase now. I, there's no problem with that. Uh, I, I would just go with it with whatever you think that is not going to, you know, destroy relations between you and the client. All I right. think you could use it as a marketing thing too. You could say uh, you could start putting out communication saying, "I'm going to be increased. Anything booked after the first of the year will be at thirty uh, percent more. So book now if you want to, you know, get the services. Use it as a marketing tool to to encourage people to book now at the lower rate. Oh, that's a great idea, actually, Jeff. What if you did something like, um, just say. Um, you know, if you get your deposit in by the end of the year, right, then you get this right. year's prices. If you don't get your deposit until next year, next year's prices. That that's that's a great idea. Perfect. Our next question comes to us from Austin Swenson on the Facebook group, uh, who says, "I was asked by a local country club to do a photos with Santa." Um, and basically he has two options. Should he one, take a cut of the city of the prints that are ordered? He can do that. Or, um, he could charge a flat free, a flat fee to the country club, country club. They're offering to pay him either way. Um, just as general business advice, I don't know which one's going to end up, uh, end up ahead. But what I've always found is if anybody offers you a percentage means they don't really believe in what's happening here. They don't think this is going to be super successful. Um, um, if they're offering you a flat fee, they think this is going to be uh, more successful. Um, so my thought on this is to go with the flat fee because apparently they're not certain how much money it's going to make. Um, and if that's the case, I would just take the money and run. What do you guys say? Yeah. <laughs> Photos with Santa is going to be a huge activity. <laughs> That's going to be a lot of work. Maybe not so much like you get this set up in in studio kind of situation with Santa there. So you don't you may not have as much work to do as you're taking the photo, but just getting through all of them, processing them, and delivering them out is going to be a lot of work. And I wouldn't want to rest that whole payment and getting, getting compensation for that work on prints. Today's world, that's just so much less emphasis. There's Fewer people who want that, they want to put it on Facebook. They don't want to put it on their mantle. So I wouldn't I wouldn't go off of prints. Great idea. All right. Our last question is coming to us from Jose Martinez, who asks, um, he entered a local photography contest a few years ago, and his photo was the winner. Um, and now he's seen that his photo is on a local attorney's website. 
Um, and he's asking, would it be wrong or inappropriate to contact the attorney and request at least that the picture be credited to me? What do you guys think? I think it would not be wrong. I think he should contact the attorney because who, however the attorney got the picture, whether he purchased it from somewhere, then that means someone's out there selling his picture for possibly a profit. So I would definitely get in contact with the attorney and he's an attorney. So hopefully he would, you know, have an idea about copyright laws and things like that. Yeah. I'd say the only way it's okay for this guy to have, the attorney to have used it was if they were like the sponsor of the photo contest or something. And you kind of knew it could end up being used by the attorney. Other than that, you should work out how to get compensation for it. Yeah. I, if if he doesn't have a license to use the photo, if the attorney doesn't, uh, then no, you shouldn't ask for credit. I think you should send him an invoice. That's, uh, you know, you deserve to be paid for your work. And especially an attorney, it's not okay. An attorney should right. know better. Uh, no matter what kind of law you practice, an attorney yeah. should know that you can't just take somebody else's copyrighted work just for kicks and giggles. But I will say to be very careful before you do this. Um, I was once in the situation that made me extremely angry uh, where I had purchased a stock photo um, on, um, what was it? Uh, Pixoto. Pixoto uh, sells stock photos. And somebody had listed their, you know, posted their photo and clicked that, yes, you can sell this as stock. So then somebody can go purchase the photo and use it. Um, and then the, the photographer gets a, a, some of the money from the purchase, right? So I purchased the photo. I used it on the website. And then this dude, I, I can't remember who it was or else I'd call him out right now. Uh, this photographer starts posting all kinds of crap about me online about how I'm stealing people's photography and claiming it is mine and all this stuff. And I just responded with a receipt uh, for the photo and said, excuse me, you're going to have to go apologize. And he was like, well, <laughs> I didn't know that you'd purchased it. And I was like, no, 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 no. It's not my job to post a receipt every time I use a stock photo. If you're putting your photo as stock, you can expect it's going to end up all over the web. That's what a stock photo is. You put it up there and a lot of people can buy it and put it in not unrestricted, but you can use it in a lot of different ways when you put your photo up for stock. So the reason I'm saying that is you entered it into a contest. Make sure that this attorney wasn't, you know, a sponsor of the contest and that he did have a license for sponsoring the contest that you agreed to, that kind of thing. Make sure, you know, before you go accusing people that you're in the right. Uh, but but if you are in the right, you should send an invoice. That's That's not rude it, it's rude of them to take your work without payment especially somebody who knows better and so send an invoice you know whatever you would have charged to put it on the website you don't have to be exorbitant about this uh 75 dollars 500 dollars whatever whatever you think would be an appropriate um uh cost uh, if they would have purchased this photo send an invoice i think that's totally the right thing to do All right, we have a lot of different topics that we want to talk about today. Um, and Larissa, you wanted to talk about how to build followers on Instagram. What have you found is working for you? Well, I've been um, trying to build my Instagram following, and that I think is probably something that's very hard to do if you start out with zero followers. Um, so one of the things I've been doing in 
conjunction with my blog is making sure that I'm posting at least every week on Instagram. Whenever I post a blog post, I'll go ahead into Instagram and post a photo from there. Um, I've heard of a lot of different ways that you can gain Instagram followers. One of the ways that I'd heard of was um, to go ahead and just follow random people. And then most people will follow you back. And then when they follow you back, then unfollow them. Um, yeah, we talked about I've, that on the podcast last week. It's I, mm, super spammy. Twitter did punish yeah. people that that did that. I haven't seen mm-hmm. any punishments going on on Instagram for doing that, but I don't know. I I don't, I don't like that. Well, I I had heard that it it's not not an app because I know you guys were talking about that last week, but it's just follow start following random people. Um, and you know, obviously, I don't believe in doing that. I think it's very important to go ahead and build your own followers. I guess organically is probably the best way. I mean, I've only got like 160 followers. So, you know, I look at these people because I will go into other people when they like my stuff. I'll go ahead and click on theirs. And if I like what they're posting, then I will follow them. But if I don't like what they're posting, I'm not going to follow them. I just think that, you know, that's just the way that I am. And, you know, I don't follow everybody that follows me. I don't think that's a way to build it. What do you guys do? Do you guys follow people who follow you or do you, you know, just see things that you like and follow that? So I don't follow. So I like to have my feed curated to the things that I want to see. So I, if you thought I, I wish that you could do it more like you can on Facebook where you could potentially follow someone but say you didn't want to really see their stuff in your feed, mm-hmm. but you can't on Instagram. So, um, yeah, I don't follow everyone who uh, follows me by any stretch. Uh, it's but what I do is spend a lot of time looking at tags, though, um, especially I mean, I'm trying to really I want to attract people who are in my area to look at my photos in Utah. So I there's a whole there's a, a few tags I've discovered that are being used very commonly by photographers or even just people who are interested in seeing the photos, landscape photos of Utah. And I go and I search and I, I look at those tags in Instagram and see the posts that are there. And now I'm making an effort to uh, like engage with the people who are tagging those photos that way. I'll go make comments saying good photo. I love this view or great composition or whatever I, I like about the photo Um, so that, and then that's produced a lot of people looking at my stuff too, as comments in particular draw attention because it's really easy to like, like double click and and add the heart to an Instagram post, but taking the time to add a comment has led a lot more people to come over to my own Instagram profile and take a look. Now, do you go ahead? Like, I don't look for tags at all. You know, I just, I will tag my stuff but I don't go into Instagram and start searching out tags. So maybe that's something that I should start doing in order to find more people. And I think it helps in two ways. You can see other people that you can go make comments on and kind of it's building a community of people that way. You, you find the tags and it can be more location specifics kind of in the way I'm doing it anyway. It's Utah kind of tags, uh, Utah landscape. And, um, and by, commenting on I know a lot of the good photographers that do landscape in Utah now because they're the ones putting the same tags on there and we kind of know each other on our by name now because we've built that relationship so they're liking people and and it's it's 
helping my overall following because they've got a lot of followers too that have never heard of me and they see us interacting a lot more now in the comments on the photos and uh, and then they they come and check mine out another key th another thing that's worth trying and i just saw this today is something called displaypurposes.com and it helps you to figure out what tags you might want to use so you can start with like a base tag and say, uh, you know, this is how I want to tag this photo. And it will say, well, based on that, your your Instagram feed and um, like the contents of the photos, here's the tags you might want to consider adding because you can add up to 30 tags per post. And it gives you suggestions um, based on like how much activity is happening around specific tags. And it will tell you like if you put in a tag that is overused and therefore pretty much meaningless, it just Photo of the day, for example, is a tag that just means nothing right now on Instagram. So putting that on there does not help your photo get seen at all. So this would tell you that's a tag you should just take off. It's not going to help you. So it's something to try out. I haven't tried it yet, but it's something to try. You know, you brought yeah, up a good point, Jeff. Um, in kind of you at the very start, you were talking about knowing your audience. And I have found that to be very important uh, when you're starting any kind of social media is thinking about who you're trying to attract first. I think a lot of photographers join Instagram to find clients and you really only attract photographers. Uh, so you have to make sure you're using the kinds of tags and, and posting in the right kind of places, the right type of imagery that, that interests the people that you're looking for. So like me, since I teach uh, on improvephotography.com, you know, improve photography is my full-time job. Uh, well, I want to attract photographers who want to learn how to use uh, a camera better, how to do interesting with lights, uh, do interesting with lights, uh, you know, become a better photographer. Uh, but if you are, lo are a local portrait photographer, uh, I would be using very different hashtags and, you know, really thinking about, um, you know, what the best social networks are for, for actually attracting those clients. So I, I thought that was a good point, Jeff. But for, for me on, on Instagram, um, so I'm at improve photography on, on Instagram, surprise, surprise. Um, and I found that like, I'll have like a month where I grow a lot and then it really slows down. And I think the, the biggest difference is, uh, when I'm getting recommended by Instagram and, and showing up more. Uh, so I think posting just regularly to keep your account very active. So, uh, so Instagram will show your posts higher, um, is, is really great. There's uh, there are a lot of photographers that are, are excellent at using it a lot better than me. I'm going to give you an account to follow. If you want to see a great example of somebody, um, who, who's, I think using Instagram really, really well. And that's Pactography, like P A C K photography, um, on Instagram. Uh, he just does a really good job of tagging, uh, big, um, uh, big Instagram accounts who are sharing people's photos and he gets his photos shared all the time. And he's a great photographer as well, but he's using social media very well, um, to, to build up his following. So check that one out. Pactography. Uh, that's Josh Packer in Eastern Idaho. He does a great job. Okay. Very, very cool. cool. Well, we want to get on and talk about lots more topics today, but before we do that, we want to take a second and thank a couple companies that help, have helped to make the Improved Photography podcast possible. The first one is uh, my provider of my, inner, of my portfolio website. You can check my portfolio website out at improve or photographyidaho.com. Um, and that's a Squarespace website. 
So Squarespace does the hosting for the website. They do the design of the website. You can even sell your photos on there. And the reason that I decided to go with Squarespace, even though I do know how to how to build a website, uh, you know, I'm running some, some large uh, blogs like Improved Photography. But the reason that I chose with a done-for-me solution like Squarespace for my photography portfolio uh, is because they have really beautiful templates and I don't want to spend a ton of time messing with stuff. I like how it just works for me. They have 24-7 customer support uh, that I'm told is excellent, but <laughs> it's been easy enough to use that I've never actually had the need uh, to talk to customer support yet. They have seamless commerce tools so you can sell your photos or sell photography workshops um, on your website. You get a custom domain, so it's not like, um, you know, jimharmer.com. You know, my blog is at thisaddress.com. It's, you know, I get photographyidaho.com. Um, and it's just super easy to use, even if you've never done anything on the web. Uh, so check it out at squarespace.com and enter offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your purchase. That's squarespace.com and enter offer code IMPROVE. And also buy Fracture. Fracture makes some really, really beautiful prints. In fact, I have one behind my desk. Uh, Fracture gave me some printing credit uh, to check out their service, and I just really, really love the quality of their prints. It's totally unique what Fracture is doing. Um, it's not like at all like a typical print that you'll get. They're printing directly onto glass, and so it just has that uh, wet, reflective, super vibrant, uh, just popping with color um, in the in the print um, and they're just really neat uh, I've seen a lot of uh, of prints that are kind of similar you know that have acrylic on the front or different things like this but this is different because it's right on the on the glass and then it has a black backer so that you get that that rich color and not any spill through um, anyway they're they're really well-made prints I love what they do. I have one sitting behind my desk. If, if you uh, watch the video of our podcast, you've probably seen one a thousand times right behind me. Uh, so that's Fracture. I've always had good luck with them. Um, and you can check out Fracture by going to FractureMe.com slash podcast. That's FractureMe.com slash podcast. Um, and, and that'll give you 10% off your first order. And then you'll enter improved photography when they have their one question survey and that'll help to support the show. So that's fractureme.com slash podcast. It's a great time to uh, check them out, especially with the Christmas season coming up. Um, lots of opportunities to use uh, your photos as gifts. All right, Jeff, you want to talk a little bit about photographing fall color. Not too much time left to photograph fall color in the Northern Hemisphere. Yes, it is almost gone. So maybe not timely for this year. You might be able to get out and try it once. Uh, but maybe you'll learn something and, and get ready for next year out of, out of talking through it. I've been doing a lot of it this last week. I've uh, had some time to be able to go out and do that. And you can check out my shots um, on Instagram. I'm at Harmon Jeff, all squashed together, Harmon Jeff, H-A-R-M-O-N. Um, but to me, I it reemphasized, you know, I only do this once a year, the fall photography. So it reemphasized again kind of some of the things I know I learned in the past as I've tried to do it. And then I really struggled to remember all of the, <laughs> all of the tips as I went to shoot it this week. So composition is just massive part of fall photography and trying to get the fall colors 
Um, and I found it really challenging to try to come up with a decent composition based on what I was seeing, trying to frame it the way I was looking at it and make it work through the camera. Uh, it, it was a challenge. It was really hard to, to try to get something uh, to create the shot I was expecting from the, the beautiful scene that was in front of me. And I'm really lucky to live in Utah here where our mountains are just covered with fall color. It's really gorgeous and it's, it's fun to go and see and just be in awe of. And I feel like I, this year I didn't really capture it the way I wanted to. I didn't create the photos that I wanted and I, I'm going to get better at it and, and remember more for next year. But, um, getting off the beating beaten path is part of it. I drove the Alpine loop here in Utah it's through a canyon. You go uh, along a mountain ridge and gorgeous, gorgeous places. Um, one of the challenges, though, was if you just stayed on the Alpine Loop, this asphalt road that goes through the canyon, um, there's lots of trees that kind of block your view. And, and you end up with I ended up with a lot of shots where I had trees that were too close in the foreground, causing a massive distraction away from the beautiful color that was beyond them. And I really needed to get a, a higher vantage point. I needed to get to a place where I could not have those trees that are, are really pretty in their own right. But that wasn't the emphasis I was going for with trying to capture the fall color. So composition is, is, uh, is just really a, an important thing there. Helping with the composition, too, I think would be uh, mixing it up between wide angle because you're you're really tempted to go wide. There's just beauty everywhere, and you want to capture as much of it in a single shot as you can. Uh, but when you shoot with a wide angle lens, those mountains get turned into molehills really easily. So shooting using use a wide angle and get some of those too. But going to a longer focal length and maybe stitching it, doing a pano stitch to try to get the perspective to look a little different is another thing that that I wanted to make sure I really tried. I have a couple more things, but what Jim, Larissa, what what do you guys think about shooting fall colors? Do you have other tips? Yeah, I, I've I've had good success by uh, just making sure that you're including enough of the you know the blue behind it. Um, fall color is one of those rare things that uh, generally isn't as great right at sunrise and sunset. Uh, often fall color, my favorite time to shoot it is during the middle of the day when it's overcast. Because uh, then you get that, you know, that bright sunlight kind of shining behind the, the leaves and really bringing out that color. Uh, but, you know, it's overcast so that you don't get the nasty shadows either. So that's always the, the kind of day that I'm looking for. The other thing that I have trouble with, uh, with photographing fall color is uh, to go at a time that's um, that's right for that area. You know, you can't even do something like, you know, just search Glacier National Park um, and, and, you know, try to get there for, for fall color. You need to plan what side of the park you're going to be on uh, for fall color. The elevation is very different. And so one side of the park is going to be in peak color way before the other side of the park. And so you really do have to plan uh, the specific spots you're going to be at to make sure you're going to be there at the at the right time it's generally better to be there a little bit early than it is to be there a little bit late. Cause if you're <laughs> right. there a little bit late, you just got twigs in the, in the trees and, and not the leaves. Larissa, you've been out shooting the fall color at all? Not in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to do from the palm trees, huh? <laughs> yeah. We don't, we don't get much fall color here and um, I don't go, you know, up to Georgia or anything. I hear a lot of people will go up to Georgia and Tennessee and shoot up there, sure. but I haven't been up there. So like the Smoky Mountains. Right. So yeah. I'm 
stuck shooting beaches and palm trees. Oh, yeah. Boo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A couple of other tips I wanted to say real quick. Um, it can help using a polarizer to reduce kind of the um, the glare off of leaves. And I've been struggling with that in some of my shots. I couldn't find my polarizer. I don't know what I did with it. I thought for sure it was in my bag. And when I got up that to, to shoot, I couldn't find it anywhere. So I had to go without it. I really wish that I had had it. I have the polarizer to my largest millimeter ring size and then step down. So I could have used it on any of my lenses too. And, uh, and I didn't have it. So it, it, I used HDR and I'm going to be able to do luminosity. Mask. I can compensate for it. I can make adjustments to kind of lower the impact of those highlights being really super bright compared to uh, to the shadows uh, on the leaves. But it, it would have been better if I had a polarizer. Um, and then the last thing is watching the saturation of the colors. I'm a lot of it, it comes out of looking at these Instagram photos too. As I'm going and looking at these tags, people are shooting fall color in Utah a ton right now and posting that. And I'm seeing a lot of photos where the colors are oversaturated and you lose the detail in the leaves. Uh, Canon cameras in particular are notorious for oversaturating the reds. And that bleeds into the oranges that happen a lot in the fall colors. And there's so much saturation of the color that it is, uh, it's killing the detail in the leaves. So ratcheting that down a little bit in the HSL panel in Lightroom, that can really be a, a big help. Still make sure that you got good color in there, but not so much that it overpowers the details of the leaves. Yeah, and I find that's something that's really best viewed when you zoom in on the photo. Um, it's easy, especially if you don't have quite the trained eye for oversaturated color. So most people, when they think about an oversaturated the color, they're just thinking of the photo globally, and they just look at it overall, and it's like, wow, that's, that's just too much color. It just feels fakey, just kind of in your face. Um, but uh, the kind of uh, oversaturating that you're talking about, Jeff, is what uh, more advanced photographers start worrying about when you've pushed the color. Not so much that it's like hurting your eyes just looking at the photo zoomed out, but when you zoom in on a specific leaf, when you oversaturate that color so much, you'll lose tiny little details like the little veins in the leaf, just little tiny details. It just gets smashed with color and you don't see that that texture and detail anymore. So to to kind of train your eye to watch for that i find the best thing you can do is just zoom in um, on individual leaves and things when you're in lightroom and then just carefully move that slider to make sure you're not pumping it too far i've even seen some where it's so saturated it looks like one big blob of red on the whole tree yeah you're like you can't you can't see the edges and the distinctions between the leaves because the color is so saturated Yep. Yep. That's definitely easy to do. A mistake that I've made many, many times. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, I want to uh, make a little bit of an announcement. Uh, Improved Photography is ready to hire somebody, um, probably a full-time employee. Um, and we have all the details at improvephotography.com slash hiring. Um, has the description and kind of what we're looking for and all that information um, I probably should have hired somebody a while ago, uh, but I've been really nervous about uh, about hiring somebody. I just want to make sure we get the right person. And it's kind of a specific person that we're looking for. We need somebody who is an awesome photographer. I mean, your work is going to be seen by millions of people all around the world. And so you you got to be awesome. 
um, an awesome photographer. Um, and you'll be doing a lot of different things, but, but mostly working on improved photography. Plus I really want to pour in every resource that we possibly can into improve photography plus and, and get the people that are supporting improved photography by, by, uh, being a, a member of improved photography plus.com. That's our subscription website where we have basically everything that improved photography does. Um, and you get it for $20 a month. There's a two week free trial. So be sure to check it out. Uh, but we want to pour everything into improve photography plus. And so, uh, that's going to be a main thing that this person will do. Uh, also, you know, working on our email newsletter, something that I have not always got to every single week. Uh, if you go to improve photography.com slash newsletter, we have a newsletter that we send a behind the scenes photo, um, in theory every Tuesday, but it's uh, been more like once a month lately, uh, cause it's just something I'm missing. So that's another thing they'll do. Um, and then also uh, creating training products and working with um, the other podcast hosts and others that we have doing things at Improved Photography to create those training pro uh, products and then getting them out in front of people to uh, to get people to, to buy them and, and to learn to be better photographers. So you can find all the details at improvephotography.com slash hiring. I'm putting the call out here because uh, uh, if we get a podcast listener, uh, that'd be the ideal situation. It's somebody who already knows improved photography and what we do and uh, uh, probably an awesome photographer because that's what all of you are, right? Uh, so check that out, improvephotography.com slash hiring. And I also wanted to talk about the Sony a6500. Uh, so this is a new mirrorless camera from Sony um, and Sony kind of sprung this one on me. Usually I know <laughs> I, I am kind of following the rumors and stuff. And I, I know, uh, when, when a new camera is going to be coming out, this one just popped out. Totally surprised me. I, I did not know that this was coming down the pike. Uh, I was so surprised when it came across my Facebook feed. I was like, wait, what, how did I not hear about this? Anyway, uh, the Sony a 6,500, um, is basically, it has crazy autofocus with like way too many autofocus points that you'll never use. Uh, it has a touchscreen, which is awesome. Um, and they're advertising it as the fastest autofocus ever, uh, which I doubt. Uh, but it, but I have played with the a6300, and, and it is indeed very quick to autofocus. Um, this camera's running... I want to say it was almost $2,000. Uh, so it's definitely the yeah. high-end uh, crop sensor camera um, from Sony. And uh, kind of wanted to get your take on it. Jeff, I, I know this is right up your wheelhouse. I know you're always watching this <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, what was your thought when you saw this? Well, the first thing was it was only eight months since the the predecessor was out. Crazy, so eight months right? Ago, they Sony released is moving the so fast. Yeah, yeah, I know. I have an A6300. Oh, that's thanks. right. You do, Larissa. I forgot <laughs> yes, about that. Yes, I do. I forgot. Yep. Though so, it's cheaper, so I think I'd, I'm happy with the A6300. I wouldn't want to spend another thousand. Yeah. So, and and I think um, it's just my own speculation here, but I think the biggest reason that they released this one is the massive problem they had in the A6300 with heat. It, uh, especially when you're doing video, 4K video, it overheated really fast and would turn off. So it made it like useless for H for uh, 4K video recording. You couldn't do it because the heat problem and they've solved it. It looks like, uh, I saw a post yesterday. I think it was Philip Bloom does ton of video and he, he tested the 6,500 and it finally made it 
for a long time recording 4K video. So the heat dissipation problem looks like it's been addressed. It has a frame rate, too, of some, I think it was 24 frames a second, if I remember the stat right. So that's pretty impressive, too, that, that it's going that fast on the frame rate. You could yeah. almost get, like, video from stills. Yeah, I, I'm seeing 11 frames per second with okay. continuous autofocus. I'm not sure what it is oh, when you're right. not in continuous autofocus. It could, okay, I, I think it know. was if, if you didn't do continuous, it, it could get up that far. But regardless, it's pretty fast. But I, I really, I think the biggest thing was they had a problem with heat in the A6300, and they the engineers figured it out, and they thought it was important enough that they put out a whole new camera. Yeah, so <laughs> I was just a little bit amused here. So this camera is rated to 200,000 shutter actuations. The shutter is rated to 200,000 actuations. So it can take 200,000 pictures before the shutter, in theory, is going to burn out. And Although, in my experience, that's the last thing to break on a camera. Rarely do I see a camera that's that's dead because of the shutter. And it's usually not that expensive to, to replace but Anyway, let's just go there anyway. It's rated to 200,000 shutter actuations. And let's say we're shooting on the 11 frames per second in continuous focus. In <laughs> five, if you were to just hammer your finger on the, on the shutter button, five hours from now, your new camera has a dead shutter. <laughs> <laughs> it would take five hours and 14 minutes. <laughs> well, but the good news is the battery will only last about 10 minutes at that rate. Yeah, that's so. true. That's a good point. <laughs> But the cool thing is I saw, I saw some uh, YouTube videos of this, of people uh, using it, and the buffer on this thing is insane. Right. So this drives me nuts, and it's a major beef with the new Canon uh, 5D Mark IV is, okay, awesome. You can take 10 frames per second or whatever for your camera, but it goes pop. Click, bop, click, bop, click. Bop, yeah. because the buffer fills, you know, it'll go fast for just a second or two. And then it, it has to record that and it can't record it as fast as it's taking the pictures. The buffer on the Sony a 6,500 is nuts. It was something like 300, 300 some odd photos. It was a ton biggest buffer I've ever seen, uh, which was pretty darn cool. Uh, so I, a real speed demon Sony has here. I'm excited to see them doing different things, but I'm with you, Larissa. Um, you know, this is basically a, a Sony a6300 that now has a, a touchscreen. Um, it has a little bit faster of a, f of a frame rate and, oh, and it has the in-body image stabilization for a thousand bucks. I don't think I could quite do it. I don't think I could quite do those those features for a thousand bucks. I think the Sony A6300 is is still a great buy. I think um, the touchscreen would be nice. You know, that would be something that I would really have liked with my A6300. But I don't shoot my frame rates that fast. I know when I first got the A6300 and I would push on the button and it would just take way too many pictures. So I had yeah. to <laughs> slow right. it down. I'm like, I cannot even, you know, have 10 shots of that because that's pointless. So I slowed it down and the 4k video, you know, I haven't had tried it yet. Um, because I have a class 10, 128 gigabyte card and that's not good enough. Right. And in order for me to get 4k on the 6,300, I think the card, the minimum is like a $70 card or if not a $100 card. And I was like, I'm not going to be doing 4K video anyway. So <laughs> it'd be a nice to have, but I wasn't going to spend the money for the extra card just for that. So 
very happy with my 6300 especially for a thousand dollars less okay, and that was a thousand dollars with the lens the plot thickens now ben Lizakar on the chat is telling us that the A6500, and I can confirm, is actually $1,400. I was sure I'd say, seen $1,700, uh, but it's only $1,400. So we're talking about $400 right. to get those features yeah. now. Uh, now the plot starts to thicken. Now now we're starting <laughs> to talk. But, but I, th I think this totally totally depends on the type of photography you do, right? Like if you're a sports yeah. shooter, then, you know, this is a no-brainer. Yes, uh, you know, you want a camera that's super fast. For me, I shoot sports a couple times a year. Um, and so, nah, it's fine. I'll just, I'll just wait for the moment and nail it, right? <laughs> like it's just not that big of a deal. Um, it's rare that I would want to shoot that fast frame rate. Uh, but for the few times a year that I do, sure would be handy, uh, but not necessarily something I would buy a whole camera wanting that spec on. I'd be a lot more excited um, to, to, see, to see them focus on some other things. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear to me. This is They're appealing to the videographers with this update. That's It's the focus. They're, they're trying to make it so that videographers will want to use this camera. And it might be really appealing to someone who does a lot of video to to get this particular camera now uh the touch screen the focus points that you can use them all while you're doing video that's that's all really good stuff uh i know so I, dave dugdale is someone i've been working with we're going to have a photo taco episode soon talking about video and how to how to record video kind of some tips for a still photographer that wants to learn how to do video we're going to have that soon on the photo taco podcast so check that out Stay tuned for that. But I know he's been looking at it real close, too, because he's a Sony shooter already. Um, the A7R, A7S, uh, two, I think, on alls. And and he's pretty excited about the 6500. He wants to get it and test it and see what it's going to do. He wouldn't touch the 6300 because of the heat problem. But So I, I think it's really targeted at video. Very cool. Well, in every episode of the Improved Photography Podcast, we like to share with you a few products of the week, our doodads of the week. Um, and today, I'm going, to I'm going to recommend one that may not seem like a photography device um, straight off, but it's actually really, really great for photographers. Um, and that is Tautronics LED light bulbs. Um, I use these for a number of different uh, uh, reasons, uh, but uh, I'm using the soft white. Um, so these are 3000 Kelvin. I Before in my last house, I went with 5000 Kelvin daylight balanced mm -hmm. bulbs, which is really great when you're taking pictures uh, so that your white balance is just nailed in your house. Uh, but it just feels very cold. It feels like you're in a laboratory or something uh, in the house. I just did not like the color of the light. It felt very strange. Uh, so this time I warmed it up um, to 3,000 Kelvin, uh, and I've replaced almost every light bulb in the entire house with these. They're much brighter uh, than a standard light bulb, you know, great on on your lumen count here um and also it's just it's just a little bit cooler than your incandescent light bulb at 2500 kelvin and uh i just i really like it i like the way it looks in the house just normally and then for taking pictures in the house it it cools down the light just enough that your auto white balance actually works when you're at 2500 kelvin so, okay, so we're, we're getting into the nitty-gritty here. Um, so auto white balance is trying to find the, the color of neutral white in the, in the house, right? And so 
the camera manufacturers are worried that if you if it chooses a white balance too crazy, if it goes way too cool or way too white uh, or way too warm and uh, it was wrong, then your photo is going to look insane, right? And so the camera manufacturers actually put a limit as to what Kelvin range it can use for auto white balance. And so if you're at 2500K, auto white balance will never get it right. Um, and so that's why it's nice to push this to 3000 and then auto white balance works fine. So when you're taking just cell phone shots at a, you know your kid's birthday in the kitchen, whatever, the photos actually look decent. So Tautronics LED light bulbs, I've had them uh, for a year now in a lot of places in my house. Every time I get a new LED light bulb, I write the date in a marker on the bottom of the bulb uh, so that if they ever burn out on me, I know how long they lasted because I've tried different brands of LEDs and some of them burnt out in just a matter of weeks and they're expensive suckers. So uh, these <laughs> have been really reliable for me. I've not had a burnout with uh, many of them tried over the last year. All right. What do you got, Larissa? Um, what I've got is an app called After Photo, and it's good for typing on a photo. So if you're going to post to Instagram or something like that, and you want to put some writing across your photo, it's an app that you can do it with. It has different fonts, and you can change the color and everything of the um, of the type that you're doing. So I just found it today and tried it earlier. So it seems pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. I'm using a, a kind of similar. Mine is called Font Mania. Um, it's for the iPhone. I don't know if there's one for Android as well, uh, but it, you just kind of pick your photo and then they have a bunch of, of different options, kind of cool designies for text that you can put on there. Uh, I, you know, Picklerus is probably better, but this one's been cool font mania. So at least a couple to try out. Good recommendation, Larissa. Thanks. Jeff, what do you have? I'm going to recommend the Zoom H5 sound recorder. Since it's been um, causing you trouble, you want to recommend it? <laughs> I, I, well, I mean, there it's crazy to me that a sound recorder wouldn't have the um, the power input be grounded so that you don't get a little hum or buzz when you do it. But it is, so you have to go off battery to actually get a clean, clean signal. Um, and it seemed to got worse as it aged. Mine did um, as well. It wasn't really, it didn't get noticeable at first. And as it aged, it got worse. But regardless, I, the reason I'm recommending it is, um, you know, the other day, last week, I uh, had a little girl in the, in the neighborhood here, little, she's in middle school, but I had a girl in the, it, that was running for a student body office. And uh, she, they, the school has them all record videos. And so she knew that I might be able to help her out. She asked if she could come and just record herself uh, singing a little song she wrote for this student body officer election a thing. A song and, I wrote? What is that song? What's that? No, oh, fine, yeah. No, don't worry. Sorry. Jeff's making me break out into song. I couldn't even help it. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I, I hadn't done hardly any where I cared about the audio in video. It's I've done some where I shoot video as like B-roll kinds of stuff. And then I put my own soundtracks to it or things like that. But I hadn't really cared about capturing the audio to go along with video. So I, I set up my camera, kind of got some studio lighting set up in my basement. And then I thought I got to do better on the sound or they're never going to hear her and it's going to be awful. So I just, I used the H5 for recording the podcast. I just Got it over there. Put it on a mic stand. It has a nice little uh, screw hole in the back of the thing, so you can put it on a mic stand or a light stand, and uh, 
and set it up and recorded and it it was beautiful it did great just using the mics that are built into the recorder uh did a really good job of being able to provide that sound so really cheap it's a pretty inexpensive way to get some pretty good sound on video very cool. Yeah, I've used those uh, those for years, and and we're talking about a minor problem. Uh, when you're yeah. plugging in with USB, uh, you get a this tiny, tiny little hum, uh, but it doesn't yeah. seem to do it when they're new. Seems after it's a couple years old, then they start to do it. I had the exact same experience. So you just use batteries, not a big deal. Uh, but they really yeah. are excellent little devices. And if you're doing any kind of multimedia, you know, you're not just doing photos, but if you ever do video, uh, need audio, if you ever do a you know podcast, certainly anything like that, it's really really nice device to have in. You know, you can plug in um, an XLR input. You can put in um, a, a um, you know, a quarter inch input. Uh, they're just, just really nice uh, to get professional audio recorded on um, uh, for really a very good price because it also has dials. It's basically a little mixer as well. Uh, so a really, really nice device. Good recommendation. And also we have a do random of the week. This is a device that we can recommend that has nothing to do with photography. And this one is yours, Jeff. Yep. So uh, I think we've talked before on the podcast about the smart sprinkler controllers. If we haven't, then it's a Rachio brand. That's not the pick. The pick is the Rainbird WR2 RFC A553100. You see the camera Whoa. models, we think are bad. This is bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wireless rain and freeze sensor that you can plug into the smart sprinkler controller. Uh, what I was finding was the data that comes from local weather stations that are kind of near me, the, the closest one's about two miles away, wasn't giving enough accurate information about like rainfall to actually turn off the sprinkling system when it rained. So um, so I need I had to get this sensor and add that to it so that it would turn it off. So that's the do random. It was, it's a very cool little system to be able to have a detector out there that can detect rain and freeze and then turn off my sprinkling system. So that was fun. Yeah, and you and I both use the same uh, sprinkler system. It's called Rockio. That's uh, really cool. You can control it with your phone. I hate sprinkler controllers. They never work for me. I go to program <laughs> that thing, and I'm ready to tear my eyeballs out because I can never figure it out, uh, and that has fixed my problem. Uh, so, cool. Well, uh, Larissa and Jeff, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, sit down with me and talk on the Improved Photography podcast. Everybody be sure to check out the Improved Photography Retreat. I believe we are at like 33 tickets left uh, or all that's left for the Improved Photography Retreat, our conference in Phoenix, Arizona coming up in March 2017. In fact, I'm heading down to Phoenix, uh, not next week, but the week after, um, and I'm going to do a meetup with uh, some of the people um, in Arizona who have signed up for the retreat, and we're going to go shoot for a little while. So thanks, everybody, and we will see you in another seven days. Bye. Bye. Bye.